Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. This is episode number six of the podcast. Happy Wednesday, happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. I hope everybody is going to enjoy their turkey, their meal with their family. I hope they, everybody enjoys the football tomorrow. It should be a fun holiday. I'm Noah Schwartz for Belly Up Podcast, and I can't wait to do number six today. A lot to talk about. We're going to do describe five, pick five NFL games, describe them, pick who I think is going to win. We're going to do some NBA free agency discussion after there was some big moves made yesterday on Tuesday. And then also we'll wrap up with the big MLB story that came out yesterday, the first major signing of the offseason with Charlie Morton heading to the Braves. So let's begin with football. I'm going to start with Thursday's big primetime night game on NBC, Ravens and Steelers Part 2. They already played each other a few weeks ago, and that game was in Baltimore, and Pittsburgh survived that game and remained undefeated. They won over Baltimore, and it was really the worst game of Lamar Jackson's career. He had four turnovers. He did not play well. Uh, Lamar had a chance to win the game right at the end, and the pass fell incomplete in the end zone on the final play of the game. So it was not Lamar's best performance. It has not been Lamar's best season either, as he has struggled uh, compared to what he did last year as the unanimous MVP. This year, the Ravens are 6-4. and four. They've lost some games uh, they probably should have won, including last week's game against Tennessee that went to overtime. I'll get to Tennessee a little bit more later. But it has just not really gone smoothly for Baltimore at 6-4. and four. They're really in danger of missing the postseason. They're not even in playoff contention right now as one of the top seven seeds. So it has not gone well. However, this is a game for them to get some revenge on Pittsburgh, their number one rival in the division on prime, in prime time on Thanksgiving. This is a really huge opportunity for them. And I think the biggest thing for Lamar this game is early and often attack as a runner because... Baltimore is the number one rushing team in the NFL. They love to run the ball. They have a trio of running backs, typically, that they can use, including J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, and Gus Edwards, along with Lamar's phenomenal running ability. But in this game, because of COVID, and COVID plays a significant impact in this game, Dobbins and Ingram will not play. So it's going to be Lamar and Gus Edwards as the two primary ball carriers in this game. And Lamar Jackson needs to set the tempo early as a runner. Because we've seen this year, and especially against elite secondaries, Lamar Jackson struggles. He struggles to throw the ball down the sideline. He struggles to throw the ball deep. And he doesn't have a great receiving core that can get open as often as he would necessarily like them to. So if he can get this game started with some runs and establish what he's going to be as an aggressive physical runner, then I think they're going to get off to a good start and and hopefully uh, they have a chance to win this game. I think it's going to be close. I think the way that Ben Roethlisberger has played... Uh, should put Pittsburgh in a good position to remain undefeated. He had a, a great game last week, three touchdowns against a really bad Jacksonville team. But at the end of the day, I think Lamar and the Ravens win this game. Like I said, this is an opportunity for them to get in some revenge, an opportunity for them to get right back in the hunt in the wild card because they're not a division champion this year. They're not going to pass Pittsburgh at 10-0. and So it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. They're going to have to win a lot of these big games down the stretch. And it starts with Pittsburgh. This is the best opportunity they have to get a huge win so far this year. I think they do get it on the road on Thanksgiving. Second game, Titans and Colts. Another division game, another one on Sunday that's going to be a really huge matchup. 
The Colts this year, and I think we know them best for their defense, third in the NFL in rush, in rush yards allowed per game. They're fantastic on that, on that, on that side. Matt Eberflus is a phenomenal defensive coordinator. They've got talent all over the field, led by Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner. They are a fantastic defense and only getting better. Last week, we saw they struggled a little bit early against the Green Bay Packers, and then the offense got clicking a little bit, and they were able to hold down Aaron Rodgers, and they ended up winning that game in overtime. They're 7-3. and three. They're a fantastic defense and an offense that has struggled at times, but is starting to figure some things out, especially uh, in recent weeks. So I, I think the Colts will be fine in this game. But to me, this is a Derrick Henry game. And we saw Derrick Henry last week in, against Baltimore go for uh, 28 carries, 133 yards, including the game-winning touchdown in overtime. And last week, we saw how the Colts struggled in the first half. Well, guess what? Nobody's better in the second half than Derrick Henry. And then they start to lean on Derrick Henry more as the game goes forward. They'll be in good shape because as the defense starts to wear down, as the defense starts to get tired, that's when Derrick Henry at six foot four and 200 and whatever how many pounds he is, that's when he starts to play his best football, when he starts to run defenders over and just be the biggest, strongest guy in the field. So I actually think the Titans are going to win this game. I think Ryan Tannehill will keep them in it early against uh, against Phillip Rivers. I think they'll keep him in it early. And then if they can just keep it tight in the first half, go into the second half, start to run more plays, start to manage the clock, uh, keep the ball in your possession as much as you can, and that's when you start to rely on Derrick Henry. I think he'll go for 140, 150 yards in this game. The Colts have a great rush defense, but they have not seen anything like Derrick Henry at all. And I know it's a division game. It's the second matchup of the year. The Colts won the first game. So this is an opportunity for the Titans to get revenge and uh, vault themselves right back into the division discussion. All right, number three, this is the headliner game of the weekend, possibly the headliner game of the entire season, actually. This may be the single most hyped-up game we've had in 2020 so far. Chiefs at Buccaneers, Patrick Mahomes at Tom Brady. We've seen these two play each other a couple times uh, when Tom was in New England, including uh, the AFC title game. And uh, Tom won that game. But uh, I think this is going to go a little bit differently this time. Tom's with a new team. They're in a bit of a slump right now. They got beat up by the Rams for three hours on Monday Night Football this week. And it was not pretty. Uh, Tom Brady is playing at a, at a level that I really haven't seen him since late last season. And uh, th- two interceptions in the last game. He had thrown a, a, couple, a, he had th- a couple of bad games against the Bears. He had a bad game against the Saints when they got blown out on Sunday Night Football. So while he does have some big numbers, especially against the worst teams, I mean, a couple weeks ago against Carolina, he was great, and he's had a couple other great games. Against the elite secondaries and against the elite teams, he has struggled. And so the Chiefs have a very good pass defense. Bashad Breeland's played very, very well. Tredavious Ward's played well. Uh, Daniel Sorrenton came up with a big interception against Derek Carr on Sunday night. They have a very good secondary, and they want to throw the ball a whole lot, Tampa Bay, and I just think that the that the Chiefs have, have as good a shot as anybody to shut down these elite receivers in Mike Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown. So I'm going to take the Chiefs in this game. Patrick Mahomes is playing at, e, at an elite level unlike any other human on earth right now. 27 touchdowns and two picks. They're 9-1 on the season. They're playing with so much confidence. Patrick leads the league in yards, uh, yards passing. He is just a phenomenal. And I think this game is honestly, with a mediocre Bucks pass defense and an elite rush defense, you're going to see Patrick Mahomes drop back 50 times probably and throw the ball. And this is a, this is a kind of a theme for, for Kansas City. They have their games where they love to run the ball, and they've done it a couple times this season and last year's Super Bowl where 
either was Damian Williams and he was great in the Super Bowl or Clyde Edwards-Elair and he's had some big games this year where he's gotten a lot of carries. But they also have games where they just look to pass and they don't even try to run. And Andy Reid just basically just throws Patrick Mahomes back there in the shotgun and says, here, dude, do your thing. And he'll find Tyreek Hill. He'll find Sammy Watkins if he plays. He'll find Travis Kelsey, the second leading receiver in the NFL as a tight end. Just shocking. Or th- third leading, excuse me. But just like 15 yards off the lead. Um, so I-, I just think this is a-, a big passing game for Patrick. He's going to stand back there in the shotgun and avoid the pass rush and try to throw as much as possible. They're not even going to try to run against an elite Bucks rush defense. Uh, the Chiefs have very few holes. The Bucks have a lot more holes. The Bucks are struggling. The Chiefs aren't. This is just has every chance to be a total mismatch, and the Chiefs are going to get to ten and one. And I predicted them to go preseason fifteen and one, and I am still on pace to get that uh, prediction right. So Kansas City is going to win. All right, the fourth game, Chicago at Green Bay. This to me is actually a trap game for the Packers. Although they're going to be the favored team, they're going to be the team uh, definitely at home with an edge. This could be a trap game. The Bears are coming off a bye. They've got a terrific defense. They're a physical football team. Khalil Mack uh, and all the other guys they have. Uh, Roquan Smith. I mean, this is an elite defense. Robert Quinn. But unfortunately for the Bears, they can't score. And they had Mitch Trubisky to start the season. Now it's been Nick Foles since week two or three. And it has not gone smoothly. Foles has not played well. Foles has thrown interceptions. Uh, they don't have great talent on offense outside of, of uh, Allen Robinson. So it's just, it's just not a very good offense. They've scored 30 points once all season. There's some teams in the league that average 30 points. And the uh, the, Bears can't, uh, the Bears can't even get to that mark. Uh, so that's just what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Packers, although they're, they're a, at times don't have the physicality that you need to win Super Bowls and to win big games, they do have an elite offense. And like I said, could be a trap game. Bears coming off a bye. But uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones should be able to pull this one out, even though it's a close game. All right, fourth or fifth fifth game I'm going to talk about, and this is the final one. Eagles at Seattle. This is the Monday night game. Bears-Packers is Sunday night. Uh, honestly, this game has the has a chance to be a total mismatch. Let's just be honest about it. There, there's a bunch of uh, great matchups this weekend. I just went over them. Bears-Packers, uh, Chiefs-Bucks. But this game, out of all the top games, has a chance to be a total, utter mismatch. It's in Seattle at the new Lumen Field after they changed the name of it. Uh, and the Eagles are just an awful team. We've seen it. The NFC East is brutal. Uh, everybody has three wins. Nobody can can pull out a, pull out a win against anybody outside of the division. It's just pathetic. It's the worst division in NFL history. So Seattle's got every chance coming off a big win against Arizona last week, last Thursday. Uh, they've got a little bit of a little bit of a longer week, time more time to prepare. It is just this just looks like it's going to be a terrible matchup. Eagles got to fly cross country. They've got to play a team that's playing with so much confidence, and the Eagles just lost to the Browns. So it, to me, this just looks like just looks like it's going to be a blowout. Uh, Carson Wentz is having the worst season of his career, leading the league in turnovers. Russell Wilson is arguably having the best season of his career. The offenses aren't close. Uh, the defenses, although the Eagles might have a bit of an edge, it's not enough of an edge to really matter in this game. Pete Carroll has totally outcoached Doug Peterson all year, who's been heavily criticized. This just has the has the makings of a utter route. And I think that's what we might see on Sunday night. It looks like it would be a good matchup. Two star quarterbacks. At the end of the day, Seattle's going to blow through the Eagles and the Eagles are going to be 3-7-1 and one, and still have a chance to win the division somehow. All right, before I go to commercial, I just want to say breaking news that I just found out as I was sitting here at the desk doing the show. 
The NFL has postponed Steelers and Ravens. The game is being moved to Sunday. It was supposed to be Thursday on Thanksgiving. It is now being moved to Sunday. So just keep that in mind. They're moving the game to Sunday. That's because of COVID. Uh, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and two other Ravens players have been put on the COVID list. They are missing the game. There could be more added later on. But there will only be two Thanksgiving games now with the Cowboys and Washington football team. And before that, you got the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans. But now, Steelers-Ravens, the big primetime night game on NBC, is being moved to Sunday. So keep that in mind as you're making your final plans for Thanksgiving. All right, I'll be right back. We're going to do a quick commercial and then back with more Schwartz on Sports, basketball, and baseball still to come. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. We've got basketball and baseball as the next segments here on the show today. Episode number six, I'm Noah Schwartz, your host of Schwartz on Sports. So let's talk some NBA. I did my last two episodes all on basketball. I talked about the draft. I talked about free agency. I love the NBA offseason. It's one of my favorite times of the year. It's in November this year, not June or July, which is different than usual, but still, it's been great. Uh, So some big contracts were signed. uh, Two max deals, Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat, the Eastern Conference champions, and Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, formerly of the Los Angeles Lakers, as well as a very important contract signed by Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, formerly of the Sacramento Kings, and he is moving on to the Atlanta Hawks. So let's start with the max contracts first. Bam Adebayo is now a max player, five years, $163 million, with a chance to move that number up closer to $200 million, uh, based on all NBA uh, requirements and other incentives. So it's possible he could make up to uh, close to $200 million by the time this contract is over. And I think there's been a lot of questions from NBA fans the last couple of days about you know, whether Bam was worth it and whether Bam was really deserving of this type of a deal. And and to me, he was. Uh, Bam Adebayo was a backup center his first two seasons in the league. He was behind Hassan Whiteside, who, uh, strangely enough, still waits as one of the major free agent targets still that hasn't signed yet. There's very few that haven't found a team. He is one of them. And Bam became a starter just this past season on a team with Jimmy Butler and some very young players. It was a team that looked like they'd be a playoff roster, but not a team that had a real shot at much more than a, a maybe one series win. And it turns out that Bam became a star from the first game of the year, was an all-star, was an all-NBA level player, and kept it up through the postseason. He went to the bubble, played the best basketball he'd ever played, and he helped lead the Heat all the way to the finals. So to me, he was worth it. I know it's been a strange roller coaster for Bam since coming out of Kentucky as, a, as being a backup early on and playing a very small role his first two years, but he broke out in a big way in year three, and he was deserving of every penny. Now, there's also been questions about whether this contract sort of takes the heat out of Giannis consideration, because really, if if you're a Miami Heat fan and 
and you're looking ahead at what what's to come for this franchise, well, they had LeBron, they brought Chris Bosh and they had Dwayne Wade, and they brought in Jimmy Butler. I mean, this has a this is a history of bringing in stars. Like they had Shaq. I mean, they want to bring in the biggest names and the best players. And clearly, the number one target for the Heat has been Giannis. And it's it was that prior to them going to the finals, and even now more so after they went to the finals to play the Lakers. They want to get Giannis. And if they don't get Giannis, they want to get another maximum star, like even better than Jimmy Butler. I mean, a Kawhi Leonard type, a Le- LeBron-level player. I mean, a-, a top five, top six player in the league. Those are the type of guys they're going to target in-, in the near future. And Giannis is at the top of the list. And I think there's been fans that have said, well, can they still bring him in? And, and the answer to that is yes. The answer to that is, well, they can still do it, uh, whether it's next offseason season in free agency, whether it's maybe soon in a trade, they can still make this happen. Now, it is harder, though, and here's why. If Bam Adebayo would have waited another year, he could have gotten an extension next offseason, could have gotten this really the same, pretty much the same deal, and he could have waited a year, and then it would have been a lot easier to bring Giannis in because that way you don't have to trade or offload as much salary. Now now they have to look to decline the options on Goran Dragic for next year. They're going to have to possibly look to trade Tyler Hero and all these young guys they have, if they want to bring in Giannis, it's it's complicated, it's confusing in terms of the salary stuff, salary cap stuff, but at the end of the day, just know that it is harder for them to bring in Giannis next year. They can still do it, they can still bring in another max player, it just means that they're going to have a lot less depth, and they won't be able to retain as many of their young core pieces that they've used this year. So they can still bring Giannis in, it's just a matter of how do they actually maneuver that and make it happen. It won't be easy. Uh, As for Brandon Ingram... He had even more of a strange ride to, to this maximum contract. Bam's doing it after his third year. He's extension eligible. Ingram didn't get a deal after his third year when he was eligible. Instead, he had to wait another year and get traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. And Brandon, as talented as he may be, as the, the number two overall pick, his first few seasons were not great. I mean, he didn't put up big numbers with the Lakers. He was playing a smaller role. He had sort of gotten passed over in the pecking order by Kyle Kuzma. It just it wasn't perfect. And... Finally, when LeBron got there uh, last year, uh, Ingram sort of had a little bit of a little bit of a breakout, averaged like 18 points a game. And his last 10 or so games before he got injured for the season, he played the best ball of his life. He was scoring 25 points a game. And then they traded him, and they traded him alongside Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and all those picks. And they went to New Orleans, and it seemed like being out of the spotlight in New Orleans, being on a team that didn't have all these massive expectations with a with the greatest player to ever play basketball. It seemed to really help Brandon Ingram, and I think he sort of became more of a confident player, became someone that was more efficient, had his best season on high volume from three-point range, and was a great free throw shooter this year. He hadn't done those things in the past. He had sort of been a shaky shooter, a inconsistent offensive player. Now, all of a sudden, he was scoring 23 points a game every single night for a team that, although they struggled early because of their youth, eventually got better and better, and they brought on Zion Williamson after he was injured, and they, they made it to the bubble, so it was a mostly successful season for the Pelicans, and they've only got higher dreams to accomplish in the near future. And Brandon Ingram is the main centerpiece alongside Zion Williamson when they, because they want to do that. Um, they they want to get to the playoffs this year. They want to win a playoff series. They want to be a contender soon, and they're going to need Brandon to continue to develop into a 27-point-a-game guy after being a 23-point-a-game guy now. And he is worth the $165 million that can go, just like Bam, it can go up closer to 200. So... Ingram's definitely worth it. I think there were questions about whether he was a max player, whether he was worthy of that contract, just like Bam. But uh, at the end of the day, you've got to pay these young players when they come into restricted free agency. 
or give them an extension wherever they can. It's important that you do so because you don't want to lose this guy. And somebody could have offered Brandon Ingram a maximum uh, contract extension as a restricted free agent yesterday, and he could have signed it, and they had to match the offer sheet, and he could have left. And right, and if they didn't match that offer sheet, and I'll talk about Bogdanovich in a second, uh, that he could have left, and he would have been a star somewhere else. So the Pelicans had to keep him. Not only is he a great trade asset in case some other mega star, even better than Ingram, becomes available, but you can use him as the number... I guess one A player, one B player, maybe alongside Zion. You have some other uh, young players as well now. You brought in Eric Bledsoe. You brought in Stephen Adams and signed him to an extension. This New Orleans team is going to be competitive. They're going to win a bunch of games, and Brandon Ingram is going to be a huge reason why. I know it hasn't gone smooth for either player. Both guys struggled early in their careers and had to develop, but now they've broken out. They're both all stars. They're both guys that are going to be perennial stars for the next decade, and you've got to pay them because. They're worth it. Even though you want to bring in other players like Giannis or somebody else from Miami and, you know, the Pelicans ha obviously have to build around Zion as the number one overall pick and the kind of like the most famous centerpiece player they have. You've got to pay you got to pay these guys when when they come around because they're they're special and they're going to be huge parts of your of your future. All right, on to the last contract I want to talk about, Bogdan Bogdanovich. This one was a shocker. He was in Sacramento for the first 3 years of his career and hit a lot of big shots and was a terrific shooter a playmaker, was an improving defender, and he put up big numbers, and all of a sudden he hit restricted free agency, and Atlanta, on their shop shopping spree from the summer, signed Gallinari, signed Rondo, signed Chris Dunn. I mean, they, they were going out and getting everybody. Uh, they offered him a four-year, $72 million deal, which is an overpay. He's not worth $72 million. But they basically said, you know what? We want to win games with Trey Young now. We want to make the playoffs now. And even though we might not be a championship threat, overpaying a guy like this is worth it for us because we want to win. And they offered him a big contract, and I was surprised Sacramento decided not to match it. If they decided to offer him the same $72 million deal, he would have been uh, going right back to Sacramento. He would have been a centerpiece there alongside De'Aaron Fox, who got a max extension earlier this week. But uh, they decided against it. They decided to roll uh, with Fox and Buddy Heald as the starting backcourt. And Bogdanovich is now the starting shooting guard, it would look like, uh, with Atlanta, and that is really a phenomenal young roster. And then they're not going to be a uh, a top contender in the East right away, but now they have a, a nice mix of veterans. They've got Capella and Rondo and Gallo, and then they've got obviously a lot of young guys. John Collins, they've got Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Uh, they still have Trey Young, obviously. They bring in, they bring, they just brought in a lot of pieces this this offseason, and they did a really nice job. Travis Schlank is proving to be a really great general manager. Uh, Lloyd Pierce is proving to be a good coach. He's done that in a couple of years. He's proved that he's worth it. So the Hawks are going to be in the playoffs this year. They're going to be one of the lesser contenders in the East, probably a six seed or so, maybe seven seed. But with that type of an offense and the electric players you have, I mean, Trey Young can score 40 on any given night. They're going to put a scare into somebody in the first round. Now, they may not win it, but if they play a contender like a Boston or somebody like that in the first round, that's not an easy series to win because that, that team can outscore you on any given night. And even though they may be a little limited defensively with their youth and, and inexperience, they still can lock up at times if they need to. Kevin Herter's definitely proven to be a decent defender, and DeAndre Hunter is going to only improve as is Reddish. They have the ability. Capella, this, this team has the ability. And so it might not be perfect at first. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to sort of create a rotation with all this depth they have. But they're going to figure it out, and I, I expect them to be 
a really uh, young, fascinating team this year in the Eastern Conference. They've got veterans. They've got young guys. They've got Trey Young. They've got all the right pieces now, and uh, they're going to vault themselves right into that lower mix in the uh, lower portion of the Eastern Conference playoff teams. All right, on to the final topic I want to talk about, and this is about Charlie Morton. Uh, Charlie Morton has proven to be, time and time again in, in recent seasons, one of the best big game pitchers in all of baseball. And he was a World Series champion with the cheating Astros of 2017. He came in third in Cy Young voting just last year, 2019. He was great in 2020, or not not great, but but good enough, a uh, year of about four and a half. And he's proven to be great in playoff games. He's he's proven that time and time again over his tenure with Houston and the Rays the last four or five years. So he gets a one-year deal worth $15 million from the Braves, and he'll go and join that team. And I have to say, as, an, as a fan of a team in the NL East, and I expect the Mets to get significantly better this offseason under, under the new ownership, I'm afraid of the Braves. Like they, That's a great team. They've got the reigning MVP in Freeman, a future MVP in one in not one side, Ronald Acuna. They've got a great second baseman in Ozzie Albies. And it seems like every little hole that this team has, they patch it in free agency and they do it smartly. And that's something that a lot of teams in baseball don't do, but the Braves do. They had a, a little bit of a hole at the end of the rotation. They bring in Charlie Morton this year. Last year, they needed a little bit more uh, juice on their offense. They brought in Marcelo Zuna, was one of the best hitters in baseball this year. They needed uh, an extra catcher. They brought in Travis Darno last year, Silver Slugger Award. Uh, so they've done this before. Found veterans on short-term deals that they have utilized in the past. And this is just another example. He gets a one-year deal worth $15 million. He's going to be worth every penny. And all of a sudden... The one big area where I think the Braves had struggled in recent years now looks like a huge strength because Mike Soroka is one of the best young pitchers in baseball, as is Max Freed, as is Ian Anderson, who proved that in the playoffs. They also have Kyle Wright. They now bring in Morton. They have a couple of uh, other pitchers that they can use for depth. But this Braves team looks like one of the elite teams in baseball. They just took the Dodgers to seven games in the, in the championship series, blew a 3-1 lead there. But they are close to being... A World Series level team, maybe the best team in the National League outside of the Dodgers, and they just they just needed an extra pitcher and they got it. So Charlie Morton was in the World Series with the Rays. He was in the World Series with the Astros. He's pitched in big games. He's won a lot of big games. There's no reason why he can't fill a hole with the Braves. And like I said, as as a Mets fan, as somebody who roots for a team in the NL East, that Braves team is scary. The division is tough. I mean, top to bottom, it's tough. The Marlins even have talent now, but the Braves are as scary as any team that we're going to face, and uh, I don't want to see them in October because with that lineup and now an improved pitching staff, uh, they are terrifying. All right, on to the last uh, topic of the day. It's Noah's number one performer. I do this every single episode just to name my winner of the week. And I think the biggest winner for me this week in sports, and there was a lot considering it was NBA free agency time, but I, I would think it has to be Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet, and I talked about him in the last episode, undrafted, went to championship in Toronto, and now gets rewarded for his development out of Wichita State for a four-year deal worth $85 million. He's the highest player, highest paid player as an undrafted player in league history. Nobody's ever got a contract like that before. He'll be in Toronto long-term as a cornerstone piece there. They have Kyle Lowry. They have Siakam. They have Ananobi. They've got the pieces to be, continue to be good. They did lose Serge Ibaka. They did lose Marc Gasol. Uh, both guys went to LA to the Clippers and Lakers. 
but they recouped some extra assets and guys like Alex Len and they signed Aaron Baines. There's no reason why they can't be right at the top of the East again. And Fred Van Vliet is going to be one of the key uh, pieces that they have there that, that's going to help them do that. I'm so happy for the guy. He was a great player in college. Nobody thought that it would lead to uh, much success at the NBA level, but he has passed that test with flying colors. He's a champion. He's a 20-point-a-game scorer, or nearly 20 points a game scorer. And he has just evolved into such a terrific young point guard or off-ball guard now with, with the Raptors. But uh, happy for him, and he is my number one performer of the week because after all the hard work and all the effort he put in, he's now getting uh, a lot out of it with an $85 million contract over four years with Toronto. All right, that's going to do it for me here on Schwartz on Sports. This is episode six, a, a little bit of a shorter episode today. Uh, I just want I just wanted to do it quickly before the holiday comes tomorrow. I hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. I know there's only two football games on now. There were supposed to be three. When I started the episode, there were supposed to be three. But only two now. I hope everybody enjoys those. Hope everybody enjoys their turkey, their stuffing, their mashed potatoes, their gravy, all of it. Hope everybody takes nice naps after they're all tired from the big meal. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of the best holidays of the year. And uh, even though it'll be different this year with the pandemic going on, I still hope uh, it's enjoyable for all you listeners and uh, hope have a nice weekend, uh, have a good Thanksgiving, and uh, see everyone soon.